Hello and welcome back to the Pieces of Us podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Ash, and I'm an associate clinical social worker. And my guest this week is the fabulous Hazard Strange. How are you, Hazard? Hey, I'm good. Awesome. <laughs> so the podcast is LGBTQ Changemakers in the Central Valley, although that I think mm-hmm. you are a, a, a recent import to Vegas via I Central am. Valley. How's Vegas working? It's awesome. You know, I've never visited here before and I can't believe I haven't. Everybody's been saying for years that it's as extra as I am and they're right. <laughs> so is it true what happens there stays there or does everybody know what happens there? Um, I'm pretty sure everybody knows Vegas's dirty laundry over here. Like nobody is subtle. <laughs> nobody is quiet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it would be, it would not be um, the who of me if we didn't. Um, I, at the beginning of all of my interviews, we talk about identity because identity is so important um, to understand mm-hmm. identities of others so that we can find humanity. Right. And so my first question to you, Hazard, is how do you identify So, um, sometimes it's kind of a two-sided question because I get asked how Hazard Strange identifies and then I get asked how I out of drag identifies. And, um, so out of drag, I identify as a trans male and then in drag, I sort of, I've always kind of seen my drag characters kind of flowing through like the gender spectrum. So I've always been fine with people calling Hazard, she, her, they, them, you know. Um, I prefer not to really have male pronouns, oddly enough, like in drag, because, Mm. you know, I I just feel like I didn't paint my face for, you know, three hours and cinch my damn waist and (laughs) throw my tits up to my chin, you know, to be called sir, you know, in, in heels, so. It's, it's a bit complicated, but you know. Okay. So for the purposes of our interview, how can I honor you? Um, well, I guess since I'm out of drag right now, I guess just uh, male he, him pronouns. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So uh, that sounds like either the complexity of identities and, you know, is sounds like it is, you know, a great start of where we can get going. So how did you get your start in the drag scene? So oddly enough, my drag story and my trans story kind of are intertwined with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I started all of it in my hometown, Fresno, Mm -hmm. and pretty much um, it happened one day because I had been struggling with my identity probably since I was a kid and in my early twenties, it pretty much just kind of all came to a head. And I literally remember the day that I looked drag up on Google because I sat there the whole morning and pretty much said, you know, I either need to find answers about what I'm feeling inside or to be honest, I was like really considering ending everything. Mm-hmm. It would just say it just gotten to that point where I was like, I could not live being in that like state of confusion anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I Googled um, drag queen trapped in female body because <laughs> that was like the closest thing that I could describe it you know and then the wonderful fabulous world of bio queens came up and you know 
I just did, I just started obsessively researching and just learning about all these amazing queens who were, you know, born in female bodies and who were just really just changing the narrative. And I just became just enamored with all of them. I couldn't get enough of it. And um, as far as shows go, so my first kind of like unofficial thing was at North Tower Circle and it was at a Varieties. I don't know if you remember that, but it was there for a little bit. I think Esme. Yeah, um, Esmeralda. Yeah. Yeah. So she literally just came up to me one night when I wasn't even in drag and she was like, we're short of performer and I just love your aesthetic and I just see you dancing all the time. Can you just like do something on stage? I'm like, I'm not a performer. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. but she just, she was, I could see, you know, she was, she really needed someone. And I was like, okay, girl, I'll go, I'll go think of something. So I ran out to my car and I grabbed a like purple glittery rose that was on my dashboard. And I grabbed the CD that was in my um, thing at the time. And it ended up being, um, did it on him by Nicki Minaj. <laughs> <laughs> That's appropriate. Yup, yup. And I um, I remember I stole someone's balloon off of their table, like just for another prop. I was like, okay, how do I make this work? <laughs> um, and then my first, like my first official um, performance, like on a big stage with, you know, in one of the like bigger clubs was um, the Exotica show with Diva X. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, you know, that, you know, she pretty much, I was sitting there one night on the stairs at the Express and she came up to me and actually initiated the conversation about bio queens and how she felt about women in drag and their place in the community and stuff. And she was 100% for it. She said, you know, you know, pretty much that she believed that everyone, you know, should be included and art was for everybody. And she told me if I ever you know, wanted to get on her stage and just like take a whack at it that her her show and her stage was always open to me. And that was what really, you know, kind of changed everything. And I'll always love Diva for having her show always open to me. Yeah, Diva and her show uh, are, is a starting point for so many, including yeah. myself. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, she is on my list. She is on my wish list. Um, so if she's listening, please reach out. I would love to interview you. Um, I I just want to take it back to something that you said, you know, you, you, you brought up, you know, um, the thought of you wanting to end it all. And Mm -hmm. you, you have been open with, you know, your mental health. And I think that, your story of, you know, feeling like you don't belong and, you know, having those thoughts of, you know, of killing yourself. Yeah. Is unfortunately, tragically, a story um, of a lot of people. So um, it sounds like, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, this is, you know, your story, but not, not mine, but it sounds like that the, you know, you finding, you know, the bio queens kind of gave you strength to like kind of pick up and like find that confidence to like get you going like can you can you talk more about like where uh, talk more about that 
Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I, at first it was pretty much just, again, like looking up um, people like, um, trying to think like first names that come to mind was probably uh, my drag mother um, from San Francisco, Holy McGrail, Mm -hmm. who was a very um, beloved drag queen, you know, bio queen over there. And just, um, you know, just other, a lot of Bay Area um, performers, I noticed I kind of found when I was looking at bio queens and just, I think just um, the gender bending aspect of it, you know, and um, just that being uh, like exposed to the concept of that even, you know, cause I didn't really grow up with a whole lot of exposure. Like I grew up in the community through you know, theater and school and stuff. But as far as my family went, not so much. Mm -hmm. So when I saw these women just like blending, you know, all the genders together and just embracing um, just, you know, performance and drag and just not caring what anyone thought, it really, you know, gave me um, just kind of that kick in the ass, I guess, that I needed to want to do it myself. And, um, you know, being a theater kid, it wasn't all too much of a transition, (laughs) you know, (laughs) costumes and performing. I was just like, you know, man. Um, And, you know, I also but I I did notice that the community of, you know, these women um, were also getting a lot of backlash and were also, you know, just for you know every person that absolutely loved them there was like two that wanted to talk shit you know um and um just getting more involved with them like they at the very very beginning really became just this like safe space and community for me when you know I was kind of at that delicate spot of knowing that there was something different about my gender and my body and just trying to figure it all out. All the, you know, all the women who were performing with me around that time and, you know, uh, really uh, talking to me and teaching me about stuff were so vital to just really kind of healing from that spot that I found myself in, in the beginning, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, even when I was someone who said, you know, I don't necessarily Um, identify as a female, but I was born in a female body, you know, the world perceives me as a female, you know, but this is, this is how it is. And nobody, I mean, I never got any, any sort of judgment for them. Like they just like accepted me with open arms as one of their own and just embraced, you know, what I had to bring to the table as a performer, you know, and I really respected that about them. So that's a very interesting because that is kind of where you are like hitting it all out of the park right now and like setting things up so perfectly for me. Thank you for that. <laughs> so in a previous interview with um, Cookie Cutter, we kind of touched upon the the kind of the clickiness of the Fresno mm. drag scene and the territorialness of the clubs and how how did the queen like uh, it's very hard for drag queens like Mm -hmm. in the traditional sense to break into the scene 
So what was it like for a bio queen that was trying to break into the scene? Like, what was that like? Let me tell you, (laughs) it was difficult as fuck. I... (laughs) You know, um, it was it was very, very difficult. Um, I spent many a night crying myself to sleep because I was very discouraged about like, what am I even doing? Like, I nobody wants this. Like, nobody wants to see me on their stages. Like, I feel like I'm just making a complete fool of myself, you know, and just a lot of a lot of negative talk, you know, mm-hmm. that I had to bring myself out of. Um <clears throat> Yeah, you know, like you said, I mean, it's hard enough, especially, you know, I was, um, you know, a drag queen that was peddling around um, some, some anatomy that not every, you know, uh, you know, I know that uh, labels sometimes are a bit sensitive, but, you know, cis gay males, you know, were not exactly the most comfortable with, especially backstage when I was getting undressed. You know, and um, it it just it brought this whole different like layer of just, um, you know, and I'm not going to say everybody was horrible because there were, you know, it was definitely kind of an eye opener seeing the people, you know, the genuine people who are just like, you know, fuck it. Like drag is for everyone. I don't care what you have in your panties, you know, like mm-hmm. as long as you can do a mean lip sync, like get on my stage, bitch, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, there was a lot of people as well who were just kind of afraid, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like that's really what it just came down to is just fear of the unknown, you know. Um, When I started doing what I was doing in Fresno, like there wasn't a lot of representation of what I was doing, you know, I mean, a chick dressing up, you know, doing drag you know I think some people just kind of felt like you know well what is this gonna you know what does this mean for our community what is this is how is this going to change drag like who does this person think they are I mean just everyone had all these questions why was I doing this like what was I getting out of it and stuff and you know I um I even had a you know a show or like a, a pageant you know that full on refused to let me compete because, um, and it was literally because of the fact that I had, you know, um, what I have down there. <laughs> you yeah, know, you're, that, you're, um, you're born anatomy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember that actually became, it kind of buzzed around the community for a while. And I think that's another thing that really kind of um gave me a push into the community's view as well um was you know this whole kind of controversy between you know oh you know uh there's this chick that's like a real girl quote quote you know who's like trying to be in a drag pageant and you know and so it kind of put the spotlight on me a little bit and um you know, that was kind of all I needed to just, cause I knew what I brought to the table. You know, I knew that I had very, you know, like strong foundations under me. You know, I was taught by, you know, a lot of really inspirational people. Like I, you know, I just, I was pretty confident, um, 
in at least my technical aspect of drag, you know? So I knew if someone just gave me a chance, I could do the rest, you know? I didn't Mm -hmm. want any special favors. I didn't want any special treatment or platforms. I just wanted to be given a chance, you know? Yeah, there's so much there. There's so, okay, so there's so much there. So the first, it sounds like every chance, every like time you turned around, there was a new obstacle, a new barrier. Where did yeah. you, where did the drive come from to keep you going? Honestly, so I I I think that kind of came from a couple of places. Like there was a love for just performing in itself, and the fact that you know, oddly enough, I'm actually a pretty big introvert except when it comes to the stage. Um, You know, like I I literally have a panic attack up until like my music starts. And then for some reason, when I'm on the stage, it just feels amazing and I feel at home, you know? Yeah. And I don't know where I would be or who I, you know, if I couldn't perform. Um, It also helped with my gender dysphoria, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Being in drag, seeing myself as Hazard Strange was um, actually made me feel more male than just me being like out of drag. And I actually got a lot of that from other people too, that the more I improved on my drag, um, I actually passed as a male more as a drag queen (laughs) than I do (laughs) just like chilling on the street trying to get Starbucks, which is Mm -hmm. interesting to me. Um, And then also most... I think probably the most important thing though was honestly just kind of like wanting to, I know this is probably going to sound a bit cheesy, (laughs) but I really wanted to create like a path for future performers. You know, I saw the struggles that I was going through. I saw like how people were, you know, people were treating me and how I was feeling. And frankly, I just didn't want anyone else to feel like, like shit at night. Like I, you know, I didn't want anyone to feel that discouragement and that you know just like crappy feeling of just feeling like you don't belong or like no one wants to see your art you know no one wants to like see what you have to bring to the table like that's a really devastating feeling to feel you know makes you feel Mm -hmm. like the world doesn't want what you have to offer you know and I just I knew that something had to be done about it like I didn't care what or how like I just wanted to do something to change that narrative you know so I was like you know what I am willing to stick by this I don't give a shit what anyone else has to say or what anyone else has to think of me I will continue to find stages to be on and be in people's you know view because I know damn well there's at least one person out there in the crowd that like needs to see this you know And I wasn't performing for like everyone else. I was performing for the couple of underdogs out in the crowd that felt like they had nobody else, you know? So that's who I was performing for. So, (laughs) and I have to tell you, Hazard, I have to tell you. So you, like I've talked about this being, you know, at at one of the shows at Legends, starting the show Mm -hmm. and being one of the organizers. And I have to tell you that I, I feel like I owe you an apology is because we you said it earlier is that like it labels are dangerous and i i have to say as 
somebody who booked talent for that and it was a popular show the cover mm-hmm. girl show was quite yeah. popular and i have to say it in in this is exactly what you're saying but i think that it's important that listeners are understanding that you know for as the show we didn't know how to handle you like we didn't yeah. know but i think that that's the trouble with labels and mm-hmm. with you know trying to put people in boxes and like it yeah. doesn't fit this so well okay well never mind but i think what the point i'm trying to make is that you like the listeners are able to hear the effects that that had on you like yeah. you went home thinking that you weren't good enough and yeah. it was just a show that wasn't brave enough to think outside of the box actually yeah you know but you know it, it's cool because you know I feel like you know it's just like it's growing pains you know when you grow it's uncomfortable and you don't really like know what's going on but you just kind of like and I just feel like that's kind of the same with I just you know, I was almost like something that jolted a growing pain in the community, you know, <laughs> like, yes. I don't know, like, if that sounds weird, but like, you know, just with being at the shows, interacting with the queens. Who we knew who had, you were, like, you, yeah. you stand out. So it's not like <laughs> you were like a wallflower, like we knew who you were. And yeah. you, you know, you were, you know, a very visible figure in the community. But like I said, we just didn't know how to handle that. But I have yeah. to say, is you mentioned the the pageant that you were denied. And mm-hmm. at this time, I had already been in retirement, had come out mm-hmm. of retirement and was at a new show at a new club. And yeah. I, that that incident that you were involved in, like that caught our attention that time. Mm. And in this show, we said, no, she, we need her. We needed her part of this. And we, when we came after you Mm -hmm. um, and we hunted you down and we said you, we would like you to be part of this, but it was that attention that you got from that pageant. And it made for us, it made us realize that like, Hey, like we can't ask for inclusion when we exclude our own members, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I had so much fun, like, just like performing with the cover girls every now and then. Like, I mean, you know, I just loved, um, I don't know, again, and then you, probably sounds- <laughs> you were a cast member of Lotus. Yeah, yeah. And I've just always loved that, you know, again, might sound cheesy, but I've just always kind of loved that sisterhood aspect of drag, you know? I love being a part of casts and I love just getting to know performers and developing bonds backstage and, you know, things like that. So I was always so excited when any of the other shows like hit me up, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that is actually a good segue into like, what is a moment that you're proud of? So I actually thought about this for a minute because, you know, I mean, there's, there's like more common, I guess, um, like things that I could feel proud of, you know, like the going on and, you know, winning a whole bunch of pageants later on, you know, because I remember being kind of labeled a bit of a title whore, you know, because (laughs) I had won a chunk of things. Um, But again, I just like performing. So, but I'd say that honestly, um, 
just in general, I feel so like super proud and like, just like, I get all choked up and emotional. Like every time, like every time I just like, I see a new blooming performer, you know, who is, you know, either a woman or is trans, you know, or non-binary, you know, whatever, just kind of off of the pushing you know, the gender, yeah, yeah, pushing the gender conformity, you know, yeah. yeah. And who are just out there joining casts and like, you know, creating their own journeys and making their own marks on their own communities. Like, you know, I think, you know, I have like every time I see, you know, one of these performers, it just makes everything that I went through like 100% worth it. Like, you know, um, you open the door. yeah like you not only open the door you kick the door down because the door (laughs) was not open for you 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 kick the door down and you are making way for others to to follow in your path which is you know you are a change maker thank you you know honestly i i really don't like mind all that much at all like if anyone remembers like me in the mix you know i i've talked to a one of my other performer friends, uh, Maximus Orgasmo, um, about this, you know, times of just, you know, cause she's, you know, mentioned just how, you know, she feels like the community is so different from, you know, what I've described when I first started and stuff and how she sometimes feels like, uh, you know, that the community doesn't really kind of remember sometimes what, you know, kind of my, my role in it and stuff like that. But honestly, like, it's not even, it's not even about that. Like I, just as long as the change is there, you know, I don't really care if anyone remembers me. I just want, I just want performers to be able to get on stage and just feel that rush and that sense of freedom and just empowerment that, you know, it gives you. See, and I have a different opinion on that. I feel like that it is important to remember, especially when we are a marginalized population, LGBT folk, and even more so, you know, um, gender non-conforming folks within our own community are even more marginalized and stigmatized. And so, you know, when I hear stories of queens that, you know, talk about their instant fame, it, it is important to recognize the fact that drag queens in this town used to have bottles thrown at them they were met with the kkk like Mm -hmm. that is the history and it is important that people understand how far we've come because yeah that's very true for folks just to feel like they like have been thrusted into fame that fame Mm -hmm. wouldn't be available to them if it wasn't for the folks that came before them yeah and so that's why it's so that's why i have jesse one and four lined up um like one of the i don't know if we can call like jesse the first drag queen of fresno but <laughs> like the like the first change maker of, yeah like you know having an organized show and that yeah. past is what you know what that leg that's a legacy you know yeah 
And Man, so every time important. Jesse talks, I just like stare at, I just stare at her like, wow. Yeah. And you're like, just fill me with knowledge. Just tell yes. me all of your stories. Let me have it. Tell like, me your secrets. Yes. Because it's, that is so important because yeah. again, these stages that people are on would not be here if it wasn't for brave people like Jesse, like Diva, like yourself mm -hmm. that, you know, created a space for it to happen. Yes. Um, and so that's why it's so important that we capture these stories. And yeah. you know, I, the, this podcast is going to have a mixture of drag queens and like activists and educators. And yeah. And so people are going to be like, I'm really confused about it, but it's more about just <laughs> hearing people's stories. And so yeah. we learn from those. And so in that vein and on the flip side of the proud moment, what be what would be a moment that you're willing to share that you, you wish that you could take back or do over? So again, I mean, like there's the like light stuff, like, you know, I've had so many wardrobe malfunctions that were probably oh, save those for the embarrassing moment that I'm gonna ask you later. You know? Save those. <laughs> um but, you know, honestly, I am just kind of like, I'm just kind of the type that I don't really regret or like try to look back at any moments or experiences like in a negative way. Like I allow myself to feel, you know, the appropriate emotions, but I also kind of, I try to look at everything even, you know, the uncomfortable, like not so great stuff as just, you know, at the, you know, if nothing else is just lessons, you know, I mean, not everything is going to be positive. Not everything is going to feel good, but you know, when it comes to the hard stuff, like the hard lessons and, you know, the bad experiences, you know, that we have, um, I feel like if, you know, we can just take them as times where, you know, we just learn something about ourselves, like, and just take it as an opportunity to grow from it, you know, and things like that, then, you know, you really don't, you're really not saddled with bad, you know, quote, bad experiences, just experiences, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's just life, you know, life is all about just learning about who we are and you know what our purpose is here and stuff so you know I just that, do you think that's a learned behavior that you had like and and, and how you cope with that because that's a pretty you know positive yeah no I mean things. I definitely um I think that I grew up with <laughs> actually you know people who tended to who either looked on the way negative side or people who went overboard with the positivity, you know, yeah. as like, you know, just a way to, um, I don't know, sugarcoat everything and stuff. And so I kind of grew up with a very uneven concept of, you know, coping with things like that. So it was a taught, you know, something that I had to teach myself. Um, I pretty much kind of, I would say like, I pretty much sort of like emotionally was raising myself probably right when I moved out of my parents' house. Um, mm -hmm. And 
So a lot of my like coping mechanisms and stuff, I, you know, I've pretty much just like learned from, you know, doing like therapy over the years or, you know, having one-on-one therapists or going to classes, you know, just, I really took the like past probably half a decade or so to really learn my brain from the inside out as someone who is, I guess, labeled as mentally ill, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, a lot of this, you know, coping mechanisms that I have are, you know, very like, um, <clears throat> you know, like geared with a purpose and, you know, taught just because like, I didn't, I didn't have someone, you know, growing up teaching me these things, but I knew that I didn't want to live my life just miserable and confused and, you know, just feeling like I didn't have control over my emotions or my brain, you know? Yeah. I think that you just said something pretty profound is that you, you've taken ownership that you own your mental health. Um, and you know, that, that sounds like you've taken control that do you find comfort in that ownership. Um, I do, you know, because it doesn't make anything necessarily like it doesn't cure any of my diagnoses, you know, it doesn't necessarily make things easier, but it does kind of, it's put me into a place to where at least I know, like, what exactly is going on. And I've learned over the years, like what I can do to deal with certain stuff. So in that there is kind of a security of like, okay, so I obviously like I'm feeling a panic attack coming on. Like I can see the warning signs and stuff. I know I'm just going to have to like sit through it, you know, deal with it. What are stuff that I can do to make it easier you know, like I like, you know, blankets and books and scents, you know, so I, it's having ownership of, you know, and really learning about my diagnoses just kind of, I guess, equipped me with tools to at least have a fair fighting chance, you know? Yeah. So that I'm not just like getting pummeled in the face every day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cause a lot of folks, you know, struggle with, again, and this is why we talk about identities is that, you know, people struggle with that identity, you know, Mm -hmm. mental health is, you know, a consumer, you being a consumer of mental health services is an identity, you know? Yeah. And, you know, once Mm -hmm. we have, you know, we, we understand those identities, we are able to grow from that and learn from that. And, you know, I think it's important that we, we talk about mental health because for so long, you know, I think the media does a very good job at portraying folks that are in therapy as less than, and it's, you know, it's really not there. You know, therapists are there for a reason. Yes. You get to tell somebody your deepest, darkest secrets and they cannot repeat it. So, you know, um, and just just to bounce things off, like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. Like, you know, I feel yeah. like it, it's not it, it's not a stigma, and but it is, you know. And we're, yeah, oh we're yeah, definitely. That. Um, people with you know people are seen um, with mental illness as being broken, and you know yes. people with mental illness are not broken people, you know. No. Um, and so I, I I thank you for you know sharing your story, uh, your mental health journey, 
um, yeah. because it really is a journey. And, yeah. you know, so sometimes, you know, that you are a part of the journey is in, in a dark place. But, you know, there's other parts of that journey where you are, you know, strolling through the fucking daisy fields and it's amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then there's yeah. just, there's just, you know, being able to survive in an environment that, that is good for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, you know, I, um, you know, I mean, if I, I don't, again, I don't really mind um, opening up, you know, about like. Um, a little bit more like personal stuff with me and stuff. So, I mean, basically, uh, you know, what I have been diagnosed with is, um, let's see, I've been diagnosed with bipolar one, generalized anxiety, um, uh, clinical depression, ADD, and borderline personality disorder. Um, and then it's been, you know, a while since I've, you know, gotten checked out and stuff since, but ever, honestly, I'm like, I, I, at this point, I don't need any more things tacked on to me. Like I know how to get through the day. It's, you know, but. That is um, back happy. to the labels conversation. Yes. And this is the, you know, uh, I, I, I am a clinician. I'm not a practicing clinician at the moment. This is not therapy. Mm -hmm. This is just a podcast discussion. So, yeah. you know, I have to do that as a disclaimer, but that has been a conversation that I've had through my educational journey into mm -hmm. mental health is that the DSM-5, the, yeah. the manual that we use to diagnose folks is that, yeah. you know, how harmful is that to folks? Like, is that, yeah. are we stigmatizing somebody by saying, you know, you have borderline personality disorder? Yeah. Like how especially, does that impact you? Yeah. Especially since like with those labels, especially if they are written down on paper, you know, you, you know, it, when it comes to the medical field, when you have certain labels like tapped on to your records and like the info that doctors, insurance companies, like, you know, people will look at, you know, you are immediately like just labeled as, you know, a non-desirable, you know, just like someone who like is like unpredictable or who can't be trusted. You know, I mean, there's like, you know, some, I mean, I've literally heard that, um, you know, I don't know if it's still a thing, but I remember there used to be at some point that like when uh, people would be, you know, studying to become, you know, uh, like psychiatrists, psychologists, things like that, um, especially when it came to bipolar patients, not so much positive stuff was being said, you know, and like, people like who have certain, you know, disorders are kind of just like labeled as troublemakers right off the bat, like, oh, don't deal with, you know, bipolar patients, they're, you know, lost causes, they're this, they're that, you know, doctors will like, kind of like, treat you differently, if they think you are going to like, freak out in their office or do, you know, so you know, labels can be very empowering and they can be very harmful. It's, um, it's an interesting tight, you know, tight rope to walk. <laughs> yeah. That's what's important 
to, you know, when thinking about and talking about therapy and, you know, you may not always have the right therapist at your first therapist may not always be the right one for you. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's okay to, if it doesn't feel right to find a therapist that does feel right, you know, and yeah, somebody that's coming from a person centered perspective, you know, putting you before your diagnosis. Yeah, definitely. That's important. So, you know, yeah. Oh my gosh. So this could be a whole, I'm going to have to book you for a whole nother episode (laughs) on mental health and how broken the system is for consumers of mental health services. So um, that's some hot tea. (laughs) That is going to be a whole nother episode, (laughs) but let um so just getting back because you are a person that was in the limelight here in Fresno you were part of shows you were a known figure so there's always we all have them we all I shared mine about my (laughs) departure of the cover girls um because that was not a that was not a story that was known to a whole lot of people but a lot of people talked about it so what is the moment that you're like man I wish everybody knew the full story like I wish people knew what was what really happened well okay so I'm not gonna like go into like much detail or use names or anything whatever you're willing to share yeah so I'm Um, okay with that Yeah. I mean, cause I will say, um, it is like something that I'm still healing from and kind of coming to terms. And I think taking ownership of my story or, you know, is important as well. Owning your shit, right? Owning your shit. You know, like, so I will just say that I do have a, um, certain ex that, both of us were highly involved in the community Mm -hmm. and um, pretty much just once we broke up, I think that there was um, a lot of narratives that were kind of like floating around and that, you know, just didn't put me in the most positive light. And it was kind of hurtful, you know, it felt again, a little bit isolating, just, feeling like no one was willing to listen to my side and stuff like that. And um, I guess I just wish that, you know, more people would have been uh, open to hearing both sides of that story, you know, and again, simply just because of how intertwined we were within the community, you know, you know, this Mm -hmm. person was also a very, uh, you know, is a very well-known you know, respected person amongst the community and stuff. So it was just kind of an unfortunate situation all the way around. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's cooled off and everything is, you know, as neutral as it can be now, but I will, but I guess just in the beginning, you know, it just kind of sucked feeling alone while I was hurting, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, what you're sharing kind of, you know, could be some very common for those that are like dissolving a long-term relationship where it's like you know everybody is choosing a side whose side are you on but for you like it sounds like for you guys being in the spotlight it just made it that much more intense it was like yeah magnifying (laughs) that because you know I know 
the two of you would be, you know, always out and being, mm-hmm. you know, center of attention. And so using that now and putting that spotlight, like uh, taking it away and, you know, feeling like, you know, your, your, your folks, you know, weren't there. And I, I can see how that could be pretty isolating for you. And, but it yeah. sounds like, you know, you are at a good spot now that you're able to like kind of process that. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. It took a while, but you know, like everything just takes time. And, you know, some days I have, you know, just those bad days where it really, really sucks. And then, you know, I just kind of, I don't know, (laughs) put a mug on or take a bath and remind myself that I am that bitch. (laughs) You are awesome. And whether you're having a good day or a bad day, the ground is still underneath your feet. You are still standing, (laughs) right? Right. And seven inch hooker heels. (laughs) There you go. Okay. So let's that that is a good segue into this question so i have asked all of my folks their most embarrassing moment that they're willing to share (laughs) last week you were pseudo part of it because you were there but i didn't specifically mention you but um it was the time where we went to do our coven photo shoot and everybody kept going Everybody kept falling into the poison ivy bush. Oh my god! Yes, there's a video someplace, but there is a video. Yes, that was the embarrassing moment that I shared last week, and this week, I, 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 I've there's been so many times a dress has exploded off of me. Yeah, actually, I guess I could share this. This isn't really embarrassing, but it is like a oh shit moment was this was during Lotus and we were hosting um, the Drag Race Girls. I think I may have called one of the girls by another RuPaul's name. I thought that's who they were. I, I didn't know that that wasn't like literally all the composers were literally around the club and we've been saying the I can't remember the artist now but like I we've been saying her name all night but backstage I kept calling her by another RuPaul drag race it was the worst so (laughs) now that I've like broken the ice on embarrassing moments let's let's have your embarrassing moment well, hmm, as far as Lotus goes, can I just make a shout out to, I, were you, I don't know if you were there the that night, but as a group embarrassment, do you remember the time when Leilani Price all made us perform that What Is The Fox Say song? Yes, and... I was the fox. No, was I, yes, I was the fox. I was in a velvet fox outfit. <gasps> Why? Why did she do that to us? Like, I swear, I am convinced to this day that she made us do that just for her own amusement, just so she could laugh her ass at at all of us. I mean, because, oh my God, the choreography, do you remember? That was a mess. I couldn't stop laughing on stage. (laughs) Uh, That was the same night that, because now Leilani learned how to sew velvet, like that, um, a felt felt Uh costumes so that was also the same night she sewed 
a giant Godzilla dinosaur costume <laughs> for me to do wrecking ball. And I literally <laughs> destroyed a cardboard cutout city as I was doing that the number. So uh, I was Godzilla doing Miley Cyrus wrecking ball. So that's glamour. Yes, that was that was the highlight. So you're not getting out wow. of your embarrassing moment. That doesn't count. So, okay, it was the first year in when I was performing and it was at the Express and it was on Friday. So I don't remember. I mean, I don't know if you remember like Fridays at the Express, but it was usually like popping. Oh, yeah. Lying so, out the door and around yeah. the corner. Yeah. Uh huh. It was one of those nights. And, um, you know, I was like so excited I had like you know my like leopard jacket like I was performing a Miss Kitten song like I was like really like feeling real cute that night but for some reason I don't know if like my like like my I don't know what I was thinking but for whatever reason I decided to not wear panties that night and I had like my black nylons on and, you know, like my costume on. And I was like, oh, it'll be fine. Like, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> so I get up on stage for like my five minute number. <laughs> and about 30 seconds in, my fucking onesie snaps, like just snaps in front of everyone. And I realized like I did not, this was before I was wearing like dancer tights underneath my stuff. So I was just wearing like see-through sheer nylons. So everything was like, you know, out in the open. And I was like a baby queen. I didn't know what to do. Like I, like, I just remember twirling around and looking at the mirror and I'm like, okay, so I could run off stage right now, <laughs> you know, crying, or I could just like sit here and perform with my vag out for the entire community to see <laughs> and everybody can just like you know and i made it in your in your vag yep so i made an executive choice to continue through with the number and i mean like and i fuck i gave it my all i with my you know with my junk just like hanging all out i was like squatting and bending over and stuff I was like bitch if I'm gonna do this like if people are gonna see like what I what my goods are they're gonna see what my goods <laughs> are you're there you might as well take advantage right yep and it was um very horrifying for me as like you know a person and a baby queen but hey you know what like it kind of turned around because like yeah my you know dignity and badge went out the window that night but I got tipped so much <laughs> like does that make you a stripper I was gonna say it kind of made me feel like a hooker but I didn't have to order off the dollar menu that night so I was mm. like hey no I I was thinking more of a stripper because a stripper yeah maybe yeah probably I don't know if they're they're like business license covers stripping so at least <laughs> We don't have to worry about that now because they're that bar is long closed. But wow, yeah, that sounds like a combination. And it, it may be just that clubbed juju because that's like a combination of my embarrassing moment while I was at um 708 Express, you know, mm -hmm. whatever they deja vu, they changed yeah. their names a million times. And Alexis, yeah. I interviewed Alexis 
And uh, her embarrassing moment involved one of her testicles coming out. And my embarrassing story there was my music stopped and skipped and literally just stopped. And I was also a baby queen and I... I tried to do an, uh, a little jig and dance move, and then I kind of just ran off stage. So. You just jigged off stage. Yes, yes, you know, I but did. Like, that's, that's like, even as a seasoned queen, that is so, like, that just, like, fall in the pit of your stomach feeling when your music just, like, fucking just, like, dips out. Like, I don't care. You know, even if you, like, are, like, have been doing it for, like, decades upon decades, like, when like I don't know when that just like horrible like just dead silence and like crickets goes on and you're like what the fuck (laughs) like it's it's never a fun feeling no so that's why I was so thankful when like email and mp3 play like files came about because I was like I don't need to worry about burning a CD. And that was always the thing like you did at the last freaking minute. Like you were like literally trying to put your makeup on and get dressed and burn your CD at the same time. At the same time. And hope it doesn't get scratched when you like throw it in your bag carelessly or something because you're in a hurry. Or like it actually like burns correctly and it's like on a file. For some reason, like randomly they would like record a burn onto the CD is in like, instead of like an MP3 file, it would be like a playable music file. It'd be like the actual file and like no CD player in any DJ booth would ever read it. And that (laughs) is like the worst. Then you're like, okay, well, what songs do you have? Because I guess they're performing whatever you have. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You're like dressed up for like a Britney Spears number and you end up doing Dolly Parton or something. Yeah. You're like, I'm doing the La Bamba tonight. (laughs) Yeah. Like the Macarena. Like that's, (laughs) that's what's happening tonight. So. You know, but that would be the queen that I would tip the most. I would just like make it rain (laughs) on that bitch. That, yeah, that's just that flexibility that is just, and that professionalism. I've talked about this. I feel like a broken record, but uh, what, and then that would be a good segue to this is what advice do you have to current Queens? And that's first question. And the second question is what advice do you have for Queens that are trying to make it in the, in the biz? So for like, just like current Queens and, you know, just like in general, um, I would just say, you know, to always remember that, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, drag is just this like beautiful form of like self-expression and like performance art, which means that it belongs to everyone, you know, (laughs) you know, there should be no gatekeeping. There should be no like, you know, well, if you don't wear nails, you can't be in my show. If you Oh are, my God, I got you the know, worst if you don't have shit to- <laughs> for not wearing nails and not shaving my arms. I was like, yeah, yes. That's and that know? shit is itchy. I'm not doing it. Yeah. I just, you know, that's one of the best and you know, I think, you know, most beautiful things about drag, you know, at least from the people that I've learned from, you know, the, you know, my drag, you know, was always like interpreted as like, you know, again, that it's, it's for everyone because it's art, you know, and art has no boundaries and art has no rules. That's what makes it so unique. 
So to like try to like gatekeep and tell people that they can't be a part of it because of like A, B and C is, you know, sort of like, you know, like against what drag stands for. Yeah, it's like disgracing like what the true like essence of it is. And, you know, so just to always remember, you know, that it doesn't matter if like, say, someone's drag is different from yours or is something that you've never encountered before, like it's still just as valid as yours. So respect and embrace that person, you know, yeah, like sure. learn from them. Exactly. Um, you know, always like learn from people and always perform from the heart because like, you know, I, you know, I've seen so many performances like you know because i i don't just like i mean i'm i still love just like going to shows and watching other people perform even if i'm not a part of it you know i still love being a drag audience member so like i love you know watching numbers and i you know i think that you know and even if you are like if you're performing like you know a pop song or a country song like whatever it is i just have always felt like you know, your performances need to like come from within you and need mm -hmm. to, you know, when you are thinking of your looks and your song that you're going to do and, you know, the performance that you're going to do behind it, you know, your dance moves or the story you're going to paint or whatever the case may be, you know, it always has to come from you, you know, and represent who you are. You know, and I think that's kind of goes into what I was going to say about performers who are just starting, um, you know, because I get a lot of people who are just starting who sometimes ask like, oh, well, you know, how do I figure out like what my look should be or like what kind of songs or like how do I figure out, you know, and again, and that's kind of what I always tell them is to just, you know, the best thing that you can do is you know, I mean, yeah, like get your tips from YouTube, from other queens that have been around longer from this and that. But at the end of the day, like your drag character has to be, you know, a creation of you, you know, it has to be something that you grew and you like watered and molded and, you know, or else it's not going to be authentic, you know, and then, you know, I mean, if you're not doing something authentically like what are you doing <laughs> and people <laughs> you know? can see that people yeah. can can pick up on that and you know yeah and your character that you build like whatever that character may be good bad mean like mm -hmm. that will haunt you for the rest of your life like <laughs> trust me and I've said it and again I'm a broken record I was a very mean person as a queen and you know, if there was something that I could take back, I would just treat people better and I wouldn't be so mean because at that time I thought, you know, you know, being mean to people was, you know, was uh, what people wanted and people laughed like it was at somebody else's expense, but yeah. you know, then it just, yeah, that just went so all, yeah, it went all bad. So that's what <laughs> I would, I, think I, would, I would take back is I'd be a nicer person and not, you know, an entitled bitch to everybody. Yeah. Uh, so 
what I try to do in, you know, with this platform is try to connect people with, you know, causes that are important to them because, you know, causes that might be important to you are, you know, are definitely important to other people as well. So what are some causes that, you know, that are important to you that we can get people, you know, more information about or plug them into? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously like what we've been talking about, like throughout the interview of the whole mental health uh, community, you know, like I said, I've been, you know, a part of that community since I was a kid, you know, I mean, and just like in and out of, you know, youth, you know, like mental health groups, like therapists, you know, I've been on tons and tons of meds, seen tons and tons of doctors, you know, and I know, you know, I grew up in the, you know, mental health community. I'm still, you know, a member to this day. And I know how people perceive us, how they look at us, you know, the judgment that comes with being in the community. You know, I mean, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of um, people in our community end up, you know, leaking over into the homeless community as well. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of the people you find on the streets are, you know, people who are from, you know, the mental health community where, you know, I mean, doctors don't want to deal with them anymore. Hospitals, their families and friends don't want to deal with them anymore. So they end up, you know, alone and scared on the street, you know, and it's, it's really sad. So I've always been a very big advocate of like, you know, that the mental health community just, you know, everything from just how, people are treated in hospitals, you know, like, especially the more vulnerable of us, you know, who aren't as capable of taking care of ourselves and stuff. You know, I'm someone who is very lucky that I would probably be seen as someone who is probably more on the end of being like, you know, a bit more extreme in the mental, you know, illness department. But at the same time, I still you know, am able to function and take care of myself for the most part. Um, But, you know, those of us who can't, you know, who are, you know, severely compromised and stuff like they, you know, those are the ones who get treated like animals at like, you know, by nurses, you know, I mean, not trying to call it, but you know, I mean, it happens, you know. Yeah, by healthy professionals that Mm -hmm. aren't exactly helping at the time. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think it's because, you know, everybody in, you know, have kind of been taught that, oh, you know, crazy people are dangerous and they're like, you know, the black spot of society. And, you know, this world would be so much better if there weren't all the like psycho crazy people running around, you know, and it's just, I don't know. I just always have felt like this, you know, the community, the mental health community just deserves so much more love and care and understanding than we are currently getting. And, I really hope that I'm around to see some big changes when it comes to that, you know? Me too. Me, um, me too. So my first question <laughs> for that is, so as, uh, you know, somebody who, you know, has, you know, talked about working through mental health issues their entire life, what would, if somebody was out there listening that was struggling with, with their own mental health, what would their first step be in getting help? Um, what was it for you? I would say, you know, I mean, 
I think a lot of people would obviously say that, like, you know, getting help, like going, finding a doctor, talking to a therapist, talking to someone, you know. But that's all abstract. That's yeah. so abstract. So um, what did you do? So people but can. I would, yeah, I would definitely say, though, like what comes even before that is really just. Um, I think for me, it was really just like coming to terms and accepting myself for like how I was, you know, how I was built and made and stuff. And like, cause for a really long time, I um, like punished myself and like resented myself and then just went into a deep state of denial about what my issues were, what, you know, I struggled with and stuff and just tried to go through life, ignoring it. And um, it wasn't fair to like myself, you know, because that just made me more and more sick and I refused to get help because, you know, I just couldn't accept the concept of being as sick as I was. And I think accepting that part of me and dare I say loving, you know, those dark parts of me really kind of was a game changer because it allowed me to, you know, be open enough to seek help and like benefit from it, you know, because I also spent a lot of years in therapists' chairs where I didn't listen to a damn word they were saying, you know, yeah, yeah. because I just, I just wasn't ready. You know, I didn't want to, you know, look at those parts of myself. So <clears throat> I think just really, really like coming to a place where you can accept that, yeah, you may have these things going on, but that it doesn't, like your mental illness doesn't define who you are. Like, you know, it might be like a part of you, but it isn't you, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, so I think that's like a big thing when you're having like panic attacks or episodes where you do things, say things that you feel remorseful about, you know, you just, you know, have to kind of like take responsibility, but also remember that, you know, the mistakes that you make and, you know, the ugliness that comes with being sick doesn't make you a bad person, you know, it just makes you someone who, you know, is dealing with stuff like everybody does, you know, Mm -hmm. your shit might be a little bit harder, but I mean, you know, being mentally ill does not equal being a bad person, you know, not at all. Uh, My next question is, you know, if somebody was in, you know, seeking help and is, was, you know, receiving help, but not being treated right, like who could they reach out to? I mean, I would definitely say that like, you know, just, I think you mentioned about it a little bit earlier too, just the whole um, idea of, you know, getting hooked up with a therapist and then getting like really discouraged because you guys didn't click, you know, because it didn't go so well, like this and that, like, I think um, when it comes to people who are going into therapy for the first time, like one of the biggest things is to not be afraid to try out therapists, you know, Mm -hmm. like just because you got, you know, set up with one therapist, like most likely the first therapist that you ever come across is probably not going to be the one that you are with forever. (laughs) You know, like, you know, it just doesn't work like that. And our, you know, brain chemistry changes like 
every few years or so. I mean, like, it's just, you know, I, so you really have to kind of like be assertive when it comes to that. And, you know, I mean, cause really like therapy and all of this is like about, you know, you getting better and, you know, you healing from whatever you need to heal from. So, you know, like if you, you know, find yourself with a therapist and you aren't like completely vibing with them 100%, like, you know, people should not be afraid to just be like, Hey, you know, that, you know, this person is, you know, probably a great therapist is probably, you know, great at what they do. They're just not for me. So I'm going to find someone else, you know, until you find that right person for you, you know? Yeah. And, and no matter the situation, um, there are certain situations where you, you lose your rights, but in most yeah. situations you have rights and you can ask for a patient advocate, um, yeah. you know, if you feel like your rights are being violated, but you know, um, <coughs> that's, you know, in, in those extreme cases where there is some malice going on, you know, but most times people are most helping professionals are there because they want to help you. And that's where yeah. the art is. And, you know, um, okay. So final question of the interview, and this is a question that I, I enjoy um, asking and hearing the answer for, um, from. So if you can sum up your entire career to just one song or one performance, what would it be and why? This one was so hard for me (laughs) because, you know, I like from, from the beginning, my performances and my songs have always been like, I always say like, if you kind of like stack, if you like line up all of my numbers, like all in a row, it's just like this long timeline or story of like, just what I would, you know, like, just, it's just like one big story in my life, (laughs) you know? Um, Like it, you know, I feel like if you like put all the songs like in a book or something, it'd just be like this like weird ass diary of um, just like the shenanigans and thoughts inside my head. But I, I think like I, I was torn between two songs and ended up kind of becoming my, I guess, most known numbers. Um, so <laughs> I guess I'm gonna like kind of clump two together and I'm sorry. That's fine. But, um, it was um, Living Dead Girl by Rob Zombie, just because, you know, that was a song that just like really kind of embodied my spooky, messy, like creepy drag. And I just always felt just so empowered when, on, when I was on stage performing it. Um, but then also... The other one that I was kind of struggling with was the Jar of Hearts song slash number that um, I used to perform in. And I don't remember what the artist's name was, but I think um, I actually performed it at like the Christina first or second. Perry. Yes. yes. And I performed it at like the first or second Faux Queen pageant that um, I performed. And I remember it was the, I think it was the year that Lotus came yeah, and like actually, like you guys all like came and like saw me and stuff, and um, I remember like, you know, just 
it was weird because when I picked out the song, it wasn't my usual like go-to music, I mean, or anything like that, but it just became like this embodiment of, I guess, just how hard I just naturally love, you know, in general, Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. as a person, whether it's like my drag or just me as Emmett, you know, um, I'm, I'm someone who has always, you know, for better or worse, you know, sometimes, you know, works as negative, sometimes it works as positive, but I've always been someone who was just like, kind of willing to like, you know, I got rip my heart out for others, you know, mm-hmm. and um, over the years, I kind of had to learn how to draw boundaries with that, you know, because I was fighting myself getting, you know, unnecessarily hurt and like traumatized simply because, you know, I just was giving too much of myself out to people. So that whole jar of hearts number kind of became like this representation of that, of just, you know, what I go through, you know, just as someone who loves as much and as hard as I do, you know, just kind of ripping my heart out of my chest, which I do in the number, you know, and I kind of uh, like towards the end, it's, it was never a flashy number or anything like create, you know, I had pretty much just like a big wig on and a very minimal outfit, you know, it was like white and red color palette. And it was literally just me with a spotlight, um, just lip syncing, you know, this song and looking out into the audience and just like really letting them see my emotion and stuff until the very end when I rip out my heart from my chest and then I would walk like kind of towards the front of the stage and then um as the song was like ending I would slowly just kind of like fall on the stage and you know just like pretend to pretty much like you know die with you know while I would be looking at the heart in my hand and stuff you know so I think overall that probably became the biggest representation of just me as Hazard Strange, me as like, you know, like I said, just me as a person out of drag. Um, And it was always a very kind of like hard and healing number at the same time. I always, I always like break down and sob (laughs) every time I perform it. Well, if you have not seen one of Hazard's shows, I implore you to uh, see uh, one of Hazard's shows. Uh, I will link whatever, if you have a YouTube page, Instagram, Facebook, I will link it all to this episode yeah, so that you I have all the can, now. <laughs> yeah, so you, everybody can revel in the awesomeness that is Hazard Strange. And I appreciate <laughs> you taking the time uh, to, to chat you. with me and you know you you are a change maker you, oh, thank you you are making the central valley a better place for everybody and you know you are so important to us so oh, thank you so much for for everything you. that you have done and what you will continue to do for our community and in uh and everybody check back with us next week as we have a a new episode and Uh, And thank you so much, Hazard. Thank you.